are dangerous. Thoughts without feelings are empty. So, preaching is a very scary thing. So, let's begin with the prayer for illumination. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. First of all, thank you for the privilege of speaking to you this morning. And I do feel it is a privilege. So early in the term and in this lovely renovated space, it sort of feels like home, but my senses are a little bit confused as I walk through the building, so I'm a little bit disoriented. But it's a relief to recognize still some student faces, and I hope I will get to know others of you uh, over lunch. It's really the students I miss most. (laughs) I know John is feeling so uh, abandoned and uh, whatever. I don't miss the grading, though. So before I read our scripture text for today, I want to begin with a question and then a story. So the question is this, what is your personal relationship to the Bible? That is, how do you come to it? How do you approach it? As students, in the next number of years, and those of you who are returning, you've already experienced this, you'll be spending a lot of time in the text, translating, I hope, exegeting, reflecting, applying, All of that work can leave you feeling a little bit dry at times. So as your instructors will tell you, I'm sure, it's vitally important to spend time with scripture devotionally as well as the time you take to study it. So to illustrate, let me share share with you a story, and I'll come back to this later on, Uh, Dr. Robbins shared this with me shortly after she, husband Peter, and young son David moved back to Canada from the UK. And I think David was about four. Yes, he was just over four years old at the time. And so on their first Sunday in this new church, Anna accompanied him down to the children's worship time. Uh, It was a strange place and strange environment. And it was unfamiliar to David. That Sunday, the story of Jesus and the children was being told. And I have the little circle of there, uh, Jesus with the circle of children and the grumpy disciples behind him. (laughs) And when it came time for, uh, in the story, when Jesus picked up the children and loved them, and those actions are worked out in the, uh, with the figures, David whispered to his mother, that's me, mum, that's me. At the age of four, David had found himself in that biblical story, his story in the great story. 
Sometimes I think we take the Bible so much for granted that we've lost a sense of its wonder and preciousness and power. And that's why I so appreciated the, uh, the, the music that's been chosen this morning. I'm going to read now a story from Scripture itself, from Nehemiah 8. Now, I've intentionally asked that it not be displayed on the screen, and those of you who know how um, important learning styles are to me, it, you might think question this, because, you know, not everybody is an audio learner. However, I want you to immerse yourself in this story. Brain research reveals to us that the brain does not process sight and sound simultaneously. So I'm going to suggest that you close your eyes, if you, if you wish, to, to uh, eliminate other distractions. Listen, visualize, and try to find yourself in this story, even though it's from a very different time and place and culture. But first, I'm just going to give you a little background to work you into the story. It happens after the Hebrew people have returned from years in exile to their homeland in Judah. They've begun restoring the city and the temple, and in the process, they've discovered the lost book of the law, most likely the Torah, although we don't know precisely what portions or versions of it. And they've brought it to the high priest Ezra. So we pick up the story at the beginning of the eighth chapter. On the first day of the seventh month, the people came together in the open area in front of the water gate. Then they asked Ezra, who was a teacher of the law of Moses, to read to them from this law that the Lord had given his people. Ezra, the priest, came with the law and stood before the crowd of men, women, and the children who were old enough to understand. From early morning till noon, he read the law of Moses to them, and they listened carefully. Ezra stood on a high wooden platform that had been built for this occasion. Mattatiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masiah were standing to his right, while Padiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbadna, Zechariah, and Meshalam were standing to his left. Ezra was up on a high platform where he could be seen by everyone, and when he opened the book, they all stood up. Ezra praised the great Lord God, and the people shouted, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed with their faces to the ground and worshipped the Lord. After this, the Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hadiah, Masiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Paliah, went among the people, explaining the meaning of what Ezra had read. The people started crying when God's law was read to them. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher, and the Levites who had been teaching the people, all said, 
This is a special day for the Lord your God, so don't be sad and don't cry. Nehemiah told the people, Enjoy your good food and wine and share some with those who don't, didn't have anything to bring. Don't be sad. This is a special day for the Lord, and he will make you happy and strong. The Levites encouraged the people by saying, This is a sacred day, so don't worry or mourn. When the people returned to their homes, they celebrated by eating and drinking and by sharing their food with those in need because they had understood what had been read to them. End of the passage for today. Could you picture this huge gathering? And did you catch the range of emotions that were expressed? Standing out in the sun from early morning till noon, which was close to six hours. Those of you who went on the recent trip to the Holy Land and experienced the heat and the sun there might get an idea of what that was about. All ages, including children, old enough to understand, which would have been quite young in that culture. Their reverence as they, excuse me, as they stood when the reading began, the tears of sorrow and guilt when they realized they hadn't followed the law, the posture of obedience and, and submission to the law as evidenced by their bowed heads, and finally, their joy in celebration when they understood what had been read to them. Were you able to find your place in that crowd? And have you ever experienced anything like these intense emotions from reading or hearing scripture? This is such a rich rich text, and I don't have time for a thorough exegesis today, but as I told Dr. Walsh, I will offer a few comments just to prove that I did do my homework. (laughs) And perhaps you'll have a chance to explore it further in your Old Testament class, um, since, uh, you know, because there are some difficulties in it. There are a few difficulties in this chapter. First of all, chronologically, because apparently Nehemiah and Ezra were not contemporaries. So the confusion may have arisen over the identification between Nehemiah and the governor. So this story actually likely happened before Nehemiah returned. But I don't think that lessens the impact of or the import of the story. And since we don't know what sections were read, because even in six hours, one couldn't have covered the entirety of what we now know as the Torah, we can't even be sure of what distressed them so much when they heard it read. Regardless of those uncertainties, the text as it has come to us has some powerful things to to say to us today, I believe. First of all, the word is for all ages. I'm continually surprised by the insight young children have to scripture when it is presented to them well and when one invites them 
to respond instead of just telling or imposing the meaning on them. Evidence, young David's response to the story of Jesus' interaction with the children. At that tender age of four, he saw himself as one of the company of those embraced by Jesus without being told. And how soul-deep such a discovery can be. Another reminder for me in experiencing this passage is that we often don't value something until we lose it or don't have it. Those of us who have grown up with the Bible can easily take it for granted. And even if you've discovered it later on in life, spending, you know, all of these years, intense years in seminary might make you feel a little jaded. You need to guard against such complacency. However, even at the risk of over-familiarity, I wish for all people to experience, to have the experience of Timothy, to whom Paul wrote these lovely words. Since childhood, since childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise enough to have faith in Christ Jesus and be saved. Everything in the Scriptures is God's Word, All of it is useful for teaching and helping people and for correcting them and showing them how to live. The scriptures train God's servants to do all kinds of good deeds. I want children to hear the wonderful stories of God's role in ordinary lives over and over again until the stories sink into their very being. I grew up with Hurlbert Stories of the Bible, 168 Bible stories. That's what helped me get through the Bible knowledge test when I came to ABC. (laughs) (laughs) My third insight from this passage is that we benefit from having informed teachers to explain the meaning, meaning of the word for fuller understanding. I don't probably need to tell you that incorrect or inadequate interpretation of biblical texts have led to egregious injustices, inequalities, and even atrocities down through the ages. Witness Christians' attitude, Christian attitudes towards Jews, the female half of the population, indigenous people, any people of non-European origin, as well as all manner of bizarre ideas. You've heard about that. It is your responsibility as the modern-day counterparts of those ancient Levites of our story to equip yourselves to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the truth of God, as Paul admonished Timothy. However, in spite of the urgent need in our world for biblically trained pastor teachers, I still believe, along with the rest of the Canadian Bible Society that I'm going to tell you a little bit about, that that scripture can speak directly into people's lives. So for the time remaining to me, I'd like to tell you just a little bit about the society, which my dad has very close ties to. 
Acadia Divinity College. It's a special pleasure to me that the current president of the Nova Scotia District is a recent graduate of Acadia Divinity College. Thank you for being here, Chris Johnson. And the executive director of the Canadian Bible Society, Rupin Das, in, within very recent time, earned his D-min here. And I think I saw Allison. Is Allison? Oh, there you are. Dr. Trites, a long-standing member of the board, uh, the district board, and uh, a re uh, former professor of theology. Dr. Bill Brackney was the national chair. So, we're also the only seminary in Canada, I'd like to say, that still has the annual scripture reading competition. So stay tuned to that. Uh, and the three, I think all three winners uh, from last year are present here. Uh, I see uh, Andrew Sutherland and Andrew Conrad. And is Ajay here? No, Ajay isn't here. Oh, he's here. Somebody's Oh. I did not mean to put pressure on Okay, let me share you a little bit about the Canadian Bible Society. First of all, it's the oldest ecumenical organization, Christian organization in Canada. And if you haven't yet encountered the word ecumenical, which uh, is foreign to many evangelicals, it seems, it simply means pertaining to the whole Christian church. So it embraces the full spectrum of Christian denominations. The Canadian Bible Society itself was chartered in 1906, but it was based on the work of the British and Foreign Bible Society, which started here in Nova Scotia in Pictou County um, in 1810. So it has a very prestigious history. The society is built around four pillars or emphasis. Translation, publication, distribution, and engagement. To hear or read the scriptures in our mother tongue or heart language is a privilege we English-speaking people take for granted. Let me give you just a few statistics, give you a global view. And, you know, they're moving targets, so don't hold me to the exact number. But as of uh, 2017, at least one and a half billion people did not have the full Bible available to them in their first language. The complete Bible is available in 670 languages, and it's estimated that there are still over 4,600 languages or dialects which have no published scriptures at all. <laughs> kind of boggles your mind, doesn't it? Since CBS is part of the United Bible Society, which comprises 146 societies working in over 200 countries, we here in Canada are focusing in translation on our indigenous peoples who still don't have the Bible in their language, although we're also involved in, in global uh, uh, translation projects. Uh, 
So I'm going to show you just two minutes, and thank you, Andrew and John, for queuing this all up for me. Um, this is a video uh, which will, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, because you just kind of dive right into it. It marked the launch of the Inuktitut Bible, the complete Bible, in 2012. And the women you see right at the very beginning, the, the, uh, the taller man is the present uh, director of translation, and the women were translators. And then later on, you'll see a man who talks and tells you a little story. He was the chief, in, uh, or the primary indigenous translator. It is, I need, I always need my Kleenex handy. So, I have a copy of this Bible. I'll have it at lunch for you, for you to have a look at it. And other places in that video, you see the tears of joy. That episode, that, that story, reminds me of that Nehemiah story, that people cried when they heard the word of God in their own language. Publication is another one of our pillars, and the Bible Society publishes several translations and has agreements with other publishing houses. No one translation is perfect. You'll be surprised to hear. <laughs> and it's important to understand the specific need before recommending one. The version I'm using today is the contemporary English version. It's a good translation. Doctor talked to Dr. Wooden about that and has a reading level of only grade three, so it's highly accessible. Third pillar is distribution. It's one thing to produce scriptures, but getting in, in the, them into the hands of people has to be our overarching goal. And let me read from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. How can people have faith in the Lord and ask him to save them if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can anyone tell them without being sent by the Lord? The scriptures say it is a beautiful sight to see even the feet of someone coming to preach the good news. No one can have faith without hearing the message about Christ. So as part of our effort to be those beautiful feet, Canadian Bible Society has 10 or 12 national distribution programs, and you'll see some of those upstairs afterwards, in which, through which it provides Bibles completely free of charge to our armed forces, correctional institutions, newcomers to Canada, camps. Those of you who are involved in the camping program will have received those. Newly baptized Christians, some of those are the most important. It also includes the Greek and Hebrew Bibles that are given to seminary students who are starting their studies in those ancient biblical languages, the ancient words. Thanks to Dr. Walsh, this year's crop has already been ordered, and I know that these Bibles will be very precious to you. You will treasure them, and I expect you to use them and consult them regularly <laughs> when you do sermon preparation or Bible studies. Preach. <laughs> there are so many special projects around the globe. Um, you know, I know this is you know, a, a facile thing to say, but check our website. I will just mention Amity Press in China. 
Do you know that between half a million and a million people come to faith in Christ every year in China? Amity Press, which is one of our partners there, operates 24/7, 365 days a year, uh, uh, days a year, trying to produce enough Bibles, and they can't keep up with the demand. So the Bibles, Canadian Bible Society, uh, partners with them. Last year, we distributed over 275,000 Bibles or scripture portions and over 400,000 scripture selections. And our fourth pillar, final pillar, is engagement. We don't merely want to place scripture in people's hands. We want to encourage and equip them to engage it. So we're developing some new programs to do that, such as the Bible course. It, it's actually been produced uh, in the UK, and it gives uh, an overview of the entire Bible. So it's designed as an eight-week study course, which is a wonderful alpha follow-up. And we have a new trauma healing program that is coming on online. I strongly believe that the Canadian Bible Society can be one of your uh, dependable resources for ministry. Whether you plan to serve in a local congregation or institutional setting, overseas or on the street, and I'll be around at lunch if you'd like to find out anything more about how we can support your particular ministry and how you might partner with us. I'm always anxious to talk about the work we do together to introduce people to the living word, Jesus Christ, through whom the written word bears testimony to. And I want to leave you with these words recorded by the prophet Isaiah, through whom God is speaking. Rain and snow fall from the sky. But they don't return without watering the earth that produces seeds to plant and grain to eat. That's how it is with my words. They don't return to me without doing everything I send them to do. Amen.